Grace and peace to you, and welcome to Faith Lutheran Church. My name is Candace Wassell. I'm the pastor here at Faith. It is such a joy to have you visit with us. You are welcome, so welcome in every part of Faith's community. You are welcome to join us in person at worship on Sundays. You're welcome to visit us online. You're welcome in our mission and our fellowship, and most important, you are welcome at the Lord's table. These are the readings for June 13th, 2021. Today's lesson comes from 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 1 through 42, beginning at the first verse. David fled from Nioth in Ramah. He came before Jonathan and said, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin against your father that he is trying to take my life? He said to him, Far from it. You shall not die. My father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? Never. But David also swore, Your father knows well that you like me. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, or he will be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king at the meal. But let me go, so that I may hide in the field until the third evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he says, Good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that evil has been determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a sacred covenant with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself. Why should you bring me to your father? Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was decided by my father that evil should come upon you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Jonathan replied to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. Jonathan said to David, By the Lord, the God of Israel, when I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or on the third day, if he is well deposed toward David, shall I not send and disclose it to you? But if my father intends to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, then that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you, as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the faithful love of the Lord. But if I die, never cut off your faithful love from my house. 
even if the Lord were to cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Thus, Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord seek out the enemies of David. Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own life. Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon. You will be missed, because your place will be empty. On the day after tomorrow, you shall go a long way down. Go to the place where you hid yourself earlier, and remain beside the stone there. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I shot at a mark. Then I will send the boy, saying, Go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are on this side of you, collect them. Then you are to come, for, as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the young man, Look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. As for the matter about which you and I have spoken, the Lord is witness between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field. When the new moon came, the feast, this king sat at the feast to eat. The king sat upon his seat, as at other times, upon the seat by the wall. Jonathan stood while Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, Something has befallen him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to his son, Jonathan, Why has the son of Jesse not come to the feast, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered him, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, for our family is holding a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your sight, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. He said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives upon the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered his father Saul, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul threw his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that it was the decision of his father to put David to death. Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food on the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David, and because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David, and with him was a little boy. He said to the boy, Run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is the arrow not beyond you? 
Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not linger. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the arrangement. Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He bowed three times, and they kissed each other, and wept with each other. David wept and mo the more. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since both of us have sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my descendants and your descendants forever. He got up and left, and Jonathan went into the city. Today in our series on relationships, we are, as I said, talking about friendships and this relationship between Jonathan and David. And uh, interestingly enough, friendships, that is, that is not a relationship dynamic that is well represented in the Bible. There are not tons of stories about friendships. But luckily, the two that we're going to talk about today, the two that um, are most prominent, stand in very, very stark contrast. There's a huge difference between them, and it gives us a very clear understanding of what God is calling us to in Christian friendships. So we're going to look today at David and Jonathan and hold them alongside Job. You know, Job, that great sufferer, and his three friends. So we'll get to them, but first I want to talk for just a moment about what we mean by this friendship. Some years ago, I was at a graduation party for a friend, and uh, another mom that I didn't know was there with her two boys. She had a 9- and 11-year-old, and it's a graduation party, and it's hot, and kids are bored, and after a while, these two boys start roughhousing a little much, and it was getting kind of rowdy, and everybody was kind of looking at them like, oh, this is getting out of control, and so the mom looks at him and says, boys, this is mixed company, and it was like magic. They stopped instantly which I was fairly impressed with, because I know for me, it's, you got to have a threat in there, right? But all she had to say was, mixed company. So I asked her, I was like, well, how do you guys do that? What does that mean to you guys? And she says, well, mixed company is a code word for us that means we're not all friends here, so behave yourself. Don't get too comfortable. Mixed company is the sort of people that you can have polite conversation with, but not people you can truly be yourself around. The kind of friendships we're going to talk about today are the opposite of that. These are the sort of friendships that have depth, where you, you don't have to overthink your words and actions, and you don't have to shiny yourself up to be around someone. Now, of course, this reminds me of a story in my life. It reminds me of my grandpa on my mother's side. Uh, I don't talk about him very often. We weren't particularly close. He was my step-grandpa. Um, so there was that distance in our relationship just because he was a step-grandpa. But he was special to us nonetheless. Mitch Van Hulley, just a great Dutch name. And, uh, but what I remember most about him was that he was very quiet, very stoic. 
didn't laugh a whole lot, didn't, didn't even really smile, didn't talk much either. He, he was reserved and never really let his guard down. And I kind of, there were a lot of Dutch families, a lot of Dutch people in our town, and I thought, okay, you, you hear people say that, well, these Dutch folks, they're pretty staid, and so I just kind of thought it was a part of that. But when I was about 12, he and my grandmother took me along to Wisconsin for his World War II Army Unit Reunion. He was a veteran. And what I recall most about going up there was that the very second Grandpa Mitch was around his army buddies, I saw a totally different grandpa. Chatty, jovial, laughing, smiling, weeping at times, which really freaked me out. But it was like he could breathe freely, finally. He seemed relieved to be in their company. And I am sure at the time I did not understand what that was all about, but I know now as I think about Grandpa Mitch and the way he was around his friends and that, that old unit, that, that that captures the sort of friendship that I want to talk about with David and Jonathan. Now before Jess got to this reading, there's this whole lot of story about Jonathan and David. You've got to put, put First Samuel on in the car on the way to the store today. Before, before that reading that Jess gives us, 1 Samuel 18 says of these two, the soul of David was knitted to the soul of Jonathan. That is a deep and abiding friendship. It's the kind of friendship that comes from sharing experience on the battlefield. They were both soldiers and leaders in Saul's army, fighting side by side since they were just barely old enough to put on armor. I mean, that is how they found David, that little boy who slew the giant. They brought him into Saul's army. And, and Jonathan was Saul's son, so he already had an in, and he was a great warrior to boot. But David was right there with him. And on top of all that, David could play the lute like an angel. And the way he played was actually the only thing that could cure King Saul's headaches. So not only did King Saul want him in his army, but he wanted him around to play the flute. So... He was like a second son, and these two were so close. And the myriad fights they fought together on the battlefield brought them even closer. But it was the conflict off the battlefield that most defined their relationship. And just a tiny bit more background. Saul was the first king of Israel, right? And he started out awesome, but then he really started to mess up and disobey God. So God resolved to take the kingdom away from Saul, and he's going to give it to David. And Saul could see the writing on the wall, and it drove him mad. And even though he needed David in his army, and even though he needed him to play the lute because no one else could help his headaches, and even though he knew that God was right and he was disobedient, he could not stop his jealousy and his rage from turning murderous toward David. And that's finally where we find ourselves in this reading. David's life is in peril, and Saul's going to kill him. And the only thing standing between him and that certain death is Jonathan. And David must have so many questions going on in his head about Jonathan. How would Jonathan feel about him now? Would Jonathan accuse him of the terrible things that his father was? And, and would Jonathan be jealous because he was going to lose his inheritance too when the kingdom goes to David? How much skin did Jonathan actually have in this relationship? David could not possibly know. 
And I'm sure that Job had all these same questions about his, his friends. If you remember, Job is that righteous man with a good life and everything you could want. Wife, sons, daughters, land, livestocks, servants. But in the blink of an eye, he loses it all. It all comes crashing down on him. His life comes undone. And everyone around him abandons him, including his wife. It's as if destruction, the destruction that had come upon him was somehow contagious. And if people got close, they were scared that it would rub off on him. Have you ever had that happen? Where you just didn't want to get close to someone else's mess? Or even have to think about it? Because it might happen to you. Well, that is what happened to Job. And he thought to himself, well, surely my three buddies are going to stand by me. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Surely they'll help. But this is the best part, and if you get time, you've got to read this too. Instead of supporting him, they each come up to him, each in turn, while he's sitting in this ash pile of a ruined life, still smoldering, his house behind him, totally collapsed to the ground, and they each offer him lengthy speeches about what he probably did wrong to deserve this. And maybe he should just figure out the sin and be honest about it. Each one of them was so terrified to be associated with this wreck of a human that they just wanted him to get himself right again. And when you, get, when you read these diatribes, and you're actually sitting there holding the Bible in front of yourself, reading these guys, you find yourself saying out loud to the Bible, would you guys just be quiet? The guy is sitting in ashes. Just sit with him. Just be quiet. At my grandpa's funeral, a few of his fellow World War II buddies were still able to be there, and they did sit quiet. They sat quiet while his service record was read for all of us. Staff Sergeant Mitch Van Hawley received the Purple Heart, the Silver Star Medal, the third highest in the Army, a Combat Infantry Badge, and six Bronze Battle Stars for participating in battles in the Pacific Theater and in the Philippines. Turns out this guy was a war hero, and none of us knew it. His entire family, all of us sitting there, those of us who had been closest to him physically, who had shared space with him, who had sat at Thanksgiving dinners with him, who had played baseball with him in the backyard, none of us knew that this guy was a war hero. But I'm willing to bet those old friends knew. And I'm willing to bet they knew because they had similar service records. They had shared the same battlefields. They had put the same skin in the game. They had risked the same necks for each other. And that was why he was able to breathe and find relief at those unit reunions. They were not mixed company. They were friends in costly relationships that cost them a piece of themselves, and it knit their purple-hearted souls to one another. That is the sort of costly friendship Jonathan proved to have with David. Jonathan was willing to risk not only his family bonds, but his political future. 
Saul was his father, his president, his king, his general, all wrapped up into one person. And he was also wrong. He was wrong, and Jonathan knew it. And he decided to risk everything to get his friend to safety. David would not be the king he was had Jonathan not been the friend he was. And before we are quick to say, oh, of course he did. When you know what's right, you do what's right. I'd stick up for my friend, it'd be easy. We have to be honest about the world we're living in right now. About how hard choosing friendships has become. In our culture, we are more more than willing to break ties and choose instead our political affiliations and leaders over the kind of costly friendships we see here. It is not easy what Jonathan did, but it is divine. And we know it's divine because when we compare how God responded to Job's friends and their fair-weather treatment of Job, we see a pretty big difference. God says, God lines these three friends up, and they're like, they all get there, and they're like, aha, God's going to bless us because we fixed Job. God says to them, I am angry with you three. You have not spoken the truth to my servant Job. And God proceeds to deliver harsh punishment. Cut to what God will do in response to Jonathan's fidelity to David. The Lord shall be between me and our descendants and your descendants forever. God dwells in costly relationships, not just for the moment, but generationally. Now, what does that look like? When I first came to this church uh, seven years ago, a family regaled to me how this church had taken care of them so wonderfully during a house fire that they had had, the Peterson family. They told me about how their friends here at Faith had put in their time and their prayers and their resources into helping them and their two high school kids at the time transition this terrible disaster. I'd always just thought that was a, just a great story. And, uh, but then a few years ago, it got even more amazing to me. A few years ago, another family here had a house fire. The house fire happened, and then the following Sunday night, our high school youth group, Madeline was there, our high school youth group met in the youth house, and who would show up at the door but the daughter of that family, that family who had that house fire years and years ago, and she was in her 20s now. And she talked to the youth and told them what it had meant to her that their friends here at Faith had taken care of them and the fact that she was sitting on people's couches and she was eating food that they had prepared and that they had come after work to help them sift through the ashes of this house and she was just so taken by this and the care that they had of them. And so these high schoolers right then there in that moment in response to this story from her, from this daughter, decided to walk down the street to where this newly displaced family was staying and hold vigil outside their house and pray for them and show them love. God dwells in costly relationships, not just for the moment, but generationally. What we do in the friendships here 
is a generational endeavor. And brothers and sisters, the country around us right now is pushing us more and more to choose to be in relationship first and foremost with our ideologies and our social policies and to be in relationship first and foremost with our political leaders. But it does not have to be so here and in the lives of those who follow Jesus. We follow a Lord who from the cross shows us exactly how costly relationships bear fruit and give peace and forgiveness and mercy and hold us together. A Lord who says to us, even now, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So may the Holy Spirit continue to give us strength to stand beside the people in this place and in our lives who might not share any of those affiliations, but who have risked much with each other, who have sweat together in this place, who have served beside each other in this place, who have prayed together and worshipped and sang together in this place. Those are the bonds that strengthen these friendships. God dwells in such places. Now and for generations to come. Thanks be to God for these friendships. Amen. The most valuable message we have to share at Faith is the promise we have in Jesus. We come together every Sunday to share this good news in the reading of Scripture and sharing of Holy Communion. It is these two acts of worship that we learn of the forgiveness, peace, and joy that Jesus has won for us on the cross. These gifts also belong to you, and we hope you will feel welcome to receive them. After we've shared worship together, we trust that we are ready to be sent out into the world to serve our neighbor, and you're welcome to join us in that great work as well. There are so many opportunities at Faith to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. It's what we feel called to do. It's what we're passionate about. Above all, I want to encourage you in your faith. No matter where you're at, in your journey with Christ, you are welcome to visit faith as often as you are able. But whatever you do, keep searching. There is a church family set aside just for you. And I trust the Holy Spirit will place you right where you need to be.